another hard week. Yeah. Months and months ago, when uh, I was preparing for this series of messages this summer, this was the title that was for this day. God lives with us. We need to hear it today, yes? This is the message that has been waiting for us, especially this day. Say it to yourself. God lives with us. Yeah. Say it out loud. God lives with us. Turn to a neighbor and say it to them. God lives with us. It's exactly the good news that we need today, that God lives with us. I need to make it real for you, and this is going to be a rough transition, and I don't mean to make light of anything that's going on in the world, so stay with me for just a few minutes here. To make this real for us, I need to talk to you about Pokemon Go. Now, I have a certain image to keep up, you know, to be cool, you know, to be with it, to be hip, to be groovy. So, no, I didn't know anything about Pokemon Go either. <laughs> Some of you are saying, what is this Pokemon Go? Uh, it, it's people that were born after 1984 that started to tell me this past week, this is big, Pastor Lynn, you need to pay attention to this. Okay, I said, so I went to the internet to look it up. And I found out a website that said, Pokemon Go in 400 words or less. This is what I know about Pokemon Go. Nintendo in the 1990s came out with a game called Pokemon. <laughs> and the object of this game was to get uh, these uh, monsters, I think, and... Uh, and uh, you get a stable of them, and you fight with other people and their Pokemon monsters. And am I doing okay so far? So yeah, the, the the game has been updated. No longer is it played on a console. Now Pokemon uh, and Nintendo they kind of missed the smartphone thing, but finally they got smart about smartphones and said, "Hey, we could make this a downloadable game on your smartphone." And that's what they did about nine or ten days ago. So your Android device or your Apple device, you can now download Pokemon Go. You're saying, big deal, it's that the game can now be played anywhere. In fact, the GPS on your phone is an important piece of the game because you go to certain sites, stops, in order to get some of these monsters and other paraphernalia that you need to play the game. Guess what? I wouldn't have known about this except our church has three of those stops. <laughs> we had to put up some signs to keep some people from wandering in places in our building, like the gym where little children are playing during preschool, things like that. Okay, so there's some, some safety issues. I've read other stuff online that that's happening in other places, all right? In the Pokemon game, you, you, uh, you, there's all these kind of levels, and I can't remember them all. You, there's a trainer, and you become a master, and you can then go to a gym and become a gym leader, and your, your, your Pokemon characters fight it out there, okay? 
Thursday morning, I learned a lot more about this game because there were three youth, three young men, out in our parking lot at one of these stops on their phones. I walk up to this one young man. He has a backpack on, hat, uh, got his camel back, drinking water out of it, and he's on his phone, and I come up to him. He says, I can't talk to you right now. I'm in the midst of a battle. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, two other young men, they're sitting on the curb there, and I go up to talk to them and uh, asking them about their experience with Pokemon Go. And, and one of the young men says, it's really a good game for me. So it has a lot of exercise involved. <laughs> he said, I don't drive, so I have to walk to these sites, you know, in order to get uh, these, these monsters. You know where one of the sites was at our church? It's at the foot of our cross. I was reading the Pokemon Go uh, article online explaining it, and at the bottom of the article it had this question, and it said, what if Pokemon were real and inhabited our world? What if God lives among us? That's what the scripture passages were trying to say. The book of Exodus is just the the second book in the Old Testament. So there's Genesis and then there's Exodus. The people of Israel have been captive in Egypt for a long time. And finally they're set free and they start heading for the promised land. And the Lord God comes and meets with Moses and says this, I want you to build me a sanctuary that I may dwell with my people. And if you read the next line down in our scripture this morning, it says, make a tabernacle after the pattern that I show you. So the the worship center is not like this, bricks and stones and and everything. It's more like this. It is a movable sanctuary. God says, wherever you go, I will go with you. I will meet you where you are. I'll tabernacle with you. The verse from John's gospel, that's a prologue to John's gospel in the New Testament, and the writer there says, the word became flesh and dwelt or lived among us. That word dwelt or lived is the word literally in the Greek, tabernacle. God says, I'm going to come and be one of you. I'm going to join you as Jesus the Christ. And wherever you go, I'm going to take flesh. I'm going to tent with you. Pretty amazing stuff, huh? What if God lives with us? (laughs) I think it's pretty good news for us. Uh, today begins this uh, sermon series of five weeks of this, and, and kind of the overarching theme is an altar in the world that, that God is trying to break in all around us and join us in this journey that God lives with us. There's a great book by that same name, An Altar in the World, written by Barbara Brown Taylor. She's sort of speaking here every week. And the whole point of this is that God... Um, doesn't just come on Sunday mornings in this space. God comes at all times in all places. God can erupt anywhere amongst us. God lives with us. I'm going to go back to the book of Exodus for just a moment. 
to tell you how important this concept of God tenting or tabernacling or living with us is, is that one-third of the book of Exodus is just about the tabernacle, about how it's to be built and what happens there and the duties of the priest or anything. It's, it's fairly intense. There's a lot of specific instructions in there. There are seven speeches in book of Exodus about the tabernacle. The portion of scripture we had today was just a tiny portion of the first and longest of those speeches. Did you get the detail about that? Gold and silver and bronze and all kinds of cloth and colors and gems and how you're to do things. It goes on for pages. If you architects, you would love it. There's just all kinds of specs and uh, dimensions in there. And it said in the midst of the wilderness, to offer these extravagant gifts. <laughs> um, maybe that's how we encounter God, how an altar comes in our midst, how God, we know that God lives with us, is when we start making an offering of the best of ourselves. So I'm just back from vacation after, it's been back about nine days or so, and this, so this past week I was visiting with one of our church members, and he was saying, how did that vacation go? And he said, I know you were in the mountains of northern New Mexico, and he said, oh, we, we he said, we love those mountains. He said, we weren't an angel fire like, like you were. He said, years and years ago, we camped out, we tented in the valley between Red River, New Mexico, and Cuesta. Can you see it? It's in, it's in literally the Red River Valley. It's that, that's the Red River that runs through there. He said it was in the fall. He said nobody else was around. We had the whole campground to ourselves. He said it was in the fall when the aspen leaves were turning. He said the amazing thing about those aspen leaves is that they, they hold on by this, this tiny little stem and, and they're so dry and delicate and when the light wind blows, they just, they just turn and pivot in the wind and it reflects the light in such beautiful ways and these golden colors. And all of a sudden, there was an altar in the world. <laughs> we knew that God lives with us. It came to me in a powerful way that... There are altars all around us. It's just sometimes we don't slow down and pay attention. We, we, don't, we don't take the time to see that. Maybe the first offering we make is to pay attention, to, to take time to see that God lives, lives with us. Then I went to worship team meeting, and Megan here, a wonderful new staff person that's working with children's ministry, and I was talking about what I hope to do with this message, and she said, what if it were the case that um, maybe, maybe the altar in the world is people staying at home and not coming to worship on Sunday morning? I go, oh, no, 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 don't, don't say that. <laughs> and, then, and then it got to me, as it worked its way down into me and said that, you know, if coming to worship is just an obligation, if it's just another check off the box kind of thing, if it's just more pressure on you, maybe the holy thing is to stay home. Some, I'm getting some smiles. <laughs> maybe the holy thing is to pay attention to your family instead of just, you know, we got to get dressed, we got to go, wash, you know, everybody out the door. That kind of pressure. I, I know this sounds like heresy anathema that I'm talking up here. 
I'm glad you're here today, by the way. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you for coming to worship. I think this is pretty important what we do. But, you know, maybe sometimes what we need to do is to sleep in and to cook pancakes and have brunch and pay attention to one another as a family and, and not just make this, what we do here, an obligation. Um, Barbara Brown Taylor, in her book, An Altar in the World, she had two questions that just really got to me about making this kind of an offering. She said, do we build God a house so we can choose when to see God? You know, as if we were in control and say, okay, God, I just want you to be inside these walls at this time, and that's it, okay? I don't want you anywhere outside of here, you know, especially, you know, home, because this is Barbara's other question. She said, do we build God a house in lieu of having God stay at our house? Ouch. An offering we might make is to slow down our crazy busy lives and make time for God to come home with us. <laughs> Not just here on Sunday morning in these walls, but in our homes. Another offering we might make um, has to do with Recre. We've already blessed them in uh, the prayers of the people here. Uh, an offering we might, might make is of our time and our service, uh, maybe to others. So yesterday morning, Saturday morning, it was very early in the morning, I was out at the Austin Bergstrom Airport, 5.40 a.m. Youth were up. Smile, people, this is big. <laughs> it's... it's I'm, it's summertime, it's Saturday morning, it's break. Youth and their adult leaders were up at the airport at 5.40 a.m. We were gathered at the Southwest Airlines check-in place, that line back and forth. Again, about 40 of us. We gathered under the big board. You see it, it says, you know, arrivals and departures there. And so we got out of the way of the people. Do you know how many people are up at 5.40 in the morning on Saturday? at the oh, I can't believe how many people. We got out of the way underneath that sign. We got in a real tight group. I offered a brief prayer for them. We created an altar in the world. We claim that God lives with us. And I'm hoping the youth and, and these adult leaders all week long are claiming that too. Can you imagine that? Going to North Carolina to work in the hot sun doing home repair and saying, this is our altar. This is our best offering to you, God. This is where you live, right here. What if it is the case that God does live with us? Need to do a little history with you. That Exodus passage, it was not written concurrent with the events. <laughs> it was written much later. So after the people were set free from bondage in Egypt and they had their tabernacle, their portable uh, sanctuary that went with them, they finally got to Jerusalem. They built a real temple out of stone there. It was torn down. Later they were taken into bondage again in Babylon in exile and it was in that context that these words were written down about Exodus. These intricate details about this tabernacle were written in that 
setting when the people were in bondage. Why did they write all those things down at that time? I think they wrote it down so they could imagine that in their minds, that God does live with us, not in stone walls or even in a temple, that God lives with us wherever we are in our imagination. Get this about this whole passage. God chooses to live with us. That's what they needed to remember. <laughs> that was the hope that they needed in their lives. Maybe us today too to imagine. Because guess what? We're still creating altars in the world. We're still claiming that God lives with us even in, especially in the messiest places of our lives like Nice, France. Can we see the picture? What do we do in the midst of tragedy when there's this awful things happening around us? We get down on our knees and we pray. We light candles. We bring flowers. We write words of condolence. We come together. We become a worshiping community. In the world, there's an altar in the world. This is Nice, France. It could be Dallas, Texas. Between services, someone was showing me it could be Baton Rouge, Louisiana, again this morning. We do it in spite of all of the evidence to the contrary. We say, God lives with us. We imagine it, and because we imagine it, it is true. We claim it, that there's an altar in the world. Would the Pokemon game say, what if, what if God were real and inhabited our world? That's why Jesus came. The Word became flesh and tabernacled amongst us. The good news I have to share with you this day is that our, our God lives with us. Amen.